Ever wonder what psychologist moms talk about when we get together? Whether we're consulting one another about a challenging case or one of our own kids, or just leaning on each other when parenting feels hard, because trust me, even when we do this for a living, it's still hard. Joining me each week in these special Thursday shows are two of my closest friends, both moms, both psychologists. They're the people I call when I need a sounding board. These are our unfiltered answers to your parenting questions. We're letting you in on the conversations the three of us usually have behind closed doors. This is Securely Attached, Beyond the Sessions. Hey, everyone. Today, the thing that we really wanted to sort of put our heads together on was this idea that comes up all the time. I'm sure you guys see it a lot in your practice, and I'm certainly sure you see it in your homes. A lot of parents are like, my kid isn't sharing. I'm so worried they're going to be like a mean kid. Or my kid asks for things every time we go to the store. They freak out when I say no. I'm so worried they're going to be spoiled. Or my kid doesn't appreciate how much they have. And they're going to just be so oblivious to their to their privilege and and, and what they possess in the world. And, and how do we instill like altruism, kindness, thoughtfulness, a sense of gratitude in our kids because it's really, it's, I think it's something that people in today's modern society like worry about. Yeah. And by people in today's modern society, also me. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Yes, I mean, right. I mean, and, and I know the research in this area and so do you, and I know quote unquote how to do it, but that doesn't mean I do it every day, nor does it mean there's any formula or algorithm. And I think that's so hard. It's like parents, frankly, myself included, it's always like, give me tools and strategies, give me tools and strategies. And it's like, I don't know that there are tools and strategies for raising kind of good citizens of the world. Although I think it's amazing that we all are aspiring to that. And frankly, a lot of schools are too with their curriculums, which I think is um, a step forward in a way that at least when I was growing up, like learning kindness and anti-bullying and understanding privilege was just not part of the curriculum, I think, in a way that it is now. I totally agree. I also think like, I think we have to make it a priority, right? Like, I think it's not something that just happens and being intentional about sort of the values that you just stated, Sarah. Um, and in, in the curriculum is great. You know, Rebecca, it's great that the schools are doing it. But I also think the home has to be the partner, right? In, in really mindfully thinking about how do I make caring for other people a priority? right? How do I do that in my everyday life? And, and I think we can get into some of those details, like some, some ideas around that. But I think that's the first part is like, this is work and we have to learn how to do it. We, we don't, we can't just expect our kids to be thankful and know it, right? There's a little bit of- And it's a huge priority for us. Like, yes, it starts with the home. Absolutely. How do we care for other people? How do we, how do we teach perspective taking? How do we teach appreciation? Um, you know, it's funny, Emily, you already mentioned the the buzzword, if I will, um, mindfulness, because I actually think that's that's often where I start with families that I work with and with my own kids, which is taking a moment to just stop and notice. Mm-hmm. Like if we don't notice not only what we see around us, but also how we're feeling in a given moment or what we look like compared to other people, how we're being treated, you know, it's it's really just teaching and modeling, taking a pause to comment on a moment that we are feeling a particular way. 
Um, you know, gratitude is always a great place to start. Just noticing like, wow, we're sitting here on the couch after a long day and we have this beautiful fireplace and I'm just so grateful in this moment. And it's true, but I don't always think to say it out loud um, because I don't always stop and think about it. And I think it's showing our kids that actually we can pause and stop and check in with ourselves and then express. And I, you know, I love about that is that it's not seeking gratitude in a sort of artificial way. It's really exactly to your point, like slowing down and being mindful about potentially the normative everyday things that feel good, right? It doesn't have to be that you write a thank you note, right? It can be that you sit on the couch and say, oh, it feels nice to be together, right? And I, and I love that, like Sarah and I are always talking about making parenting achievable by not giving extra homework. Like, can we make it part of the routine that you're already doing, but slowing it down and sort of highlighting those pieces? And I love that about your example, Rebecca. Thank you. It's so funny you say that because sometimes I talk about things like that and parents are like, oh yeah, like we could each write down on a piece of paper why we're grateful and we could get a little jar. And it's like, knock yourselves out. But my (laughs) experience with that is that that will dissipate within a week. Whereas sitting and just noticing something and saying something again is a much more bite-sized and therefore sustainable, you know, practice. And more authentic, like less manufactured. And I think kids resonate with that. And I think what you're touching on for me makes me think of two things. One is like the modeling piece. Like we, if we want our kids to learn a skill, we have to model it a thousand times before they start to internalize that as something that they might consciously choose to do. That's one thing. So a lot of, I think, when parents are like, how do I help my kid be have more gratitude, appreciation, kindness, whatever, respect? I like a lot of it. And this is like people get frustrated by this answer because it is a lot more work is you'd have to do it. You have to do it over and over and over and over and over again in front of them, towards them for them to do it. But then the other piece that I think we're talking about that's really important is we need to have a realistic picture for parents. I would love to paint a realistic picture for parents of what it actually looks like in reality because you can teach gratitude and not have grateful kids all the time and it's still working. And so I think parents get hung up when their kid is like, gets the gimmies at CVS or (laughs) is like, where's my Amazon package? It should be here already. Like, when is it coming? And recognize like, that's also pretty developmentally normal and not a sign that your kid is not going to develop authentic gratitude or appreciation for things or respect for other people. And I oftentimes like when I'm trying to help parents kind of build up gratitude in, in their family's, you know, ecosystem, I think it's less about addressing lack of gratitude in the moment, entitlement in the moment, sort of actually stepping back and saying, that makes developmental sense right now. How do I tolerate that? And the feelings it kicks up in me, the fears that it's driving inside of my brain and tolerate it in the moment. And then actually the teaching of gratitude happens in other moments, like the ones you're talking about. And then helping your kids connect the dots in those moments that that's actually what gratitude looks like. Yeah. And I think we hold our kids to a, to a higher standard sometimes than we hold ourselves because it's actually possible to feel grateful and want something at the same time. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think there's a real risk of 
overcoupling, to use a jargony nervous system word, but kind of overcoupling um, kind of spoiledness or entitlement with desire, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and therefore gratitude with guilt, mm-hmm. right? So I, I need to feel grateful all the time for my privilege. And if I want something that I don't have, or I want something to happen faster or easier, then I must be ungrateful and a terrible person. And now I'm flagellating myself. Like, you know, I experience that a lot with families where something big gets canceled and maybe it's a privilege thing. I mean, this happened a lot in COVID, right? Like somebody's trip to Disneyland got canceled. And instead of allowing themselves to feel disappointed because that disappointment is a real and authentic emotion in their context of privilege, it was, I wish my kids could just think of all the kids who would never get to go to Disneyland. And, you know, they don't even understand how lucky they were to go in the first place. And it's sort of like, no, you can have feelings of disappointment or of wanting your package to get there because you're seven and you're just excited about your package and still know that you're a very privileged person in the world and give back in other ways. And I think helping parents see those as kind of individual threads. I mean, I have this heartbreaking letter from when I was a kid writing to my parents from sleepaway camp and saying something like, um, not to date myself, of course, but this was the eighties and saying, um, you know, I miss you so much and I can't stop crying, but I keep telling myself that there are so many kids in Ethiopia who never get to go to sleepaway camp. Oh my God. And I like, just want to hug my self, you know, my little girl self and just be like, sweetie, like you're feeling homesick has nothing to do with the kids in Ethiopia. And like, you're right. You have it a whole lot better than they do. And that's really important to keep in mind. But again, it's about timing. Like, it's okay not to keep that in mind right now mm-hmm. and to feel sad. And I think like that really is, that's a, actually a, an, an interesting way to think about it too. Cause I think like, I love the idea of reflecting back, you know, like what you were saying, Sarah earlier, but I also kind of like the idea of in those moments being curious, right. Not being sort of shaming or saying like, you know, that type of in what I got growing up was like, people in China don't have any food, you know, like this very, like, you know, the shaming approach is to be more like, I wonder why the package, the process, the package takes, like, I wonder who the driver is. And I, you know, I wonder what happens when he's in traffic and oh, it takes a really long time. And, you know, just sort of like being more curious and perspective, mm-hmm. teaching that perspective taking in that curiosity. Cause, cause while that's like, I think it's a really good point, Rebecca, of like not holding those two close together. It's also kind of nice to, that you did that, right? Like you obviously got some of that mentalization or that thinking of the other person in your child rearing, right? Like in your grow in, in your grown up self in your growing up self. And, and I think that is something that we do want to mindfully sort of implement in our parenting, which is like that curiosity of like, how do these things happen? They don't just happen. Well, that's what I hear in what you're saying is not so much like, it's more just like you're, you're making it human for them. Like this isn't just, you click a button on a computer, you know, on Amazon and then it like magically appears. You're adding that human, like there's someone who's working. Mm -hmm. What if that person needs a break to eat? Mm -hmm. Do you think like, should that person be able to eat? Or do you think if it's going to mean slowing down the package, 
that they should just rush to get the package, right? And like letting your kids answer some of those questions, um, you know, not freaking out if they answer the quote unquote wrong way. Like they should skip eating every meal. So I get my, you know, it's like, I see how that would be your preference. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think recognizing again, this human component and that, and that again, which also helps remind kids that we are part of this collective whole, which is the take home in the first place, right? It's not just you. We are all in this together. What do we all owe each other in terms of grace and compassion? Right. And I think in order to have the wherewithal in a moment as a parent to go that route of like curious inquiry and some, you know, a little bit of some thought exercises for our kid and not say something sort of shutting them down or, or telling them like that, that, that they're being ungrateful we almost have to like rewind a little bit or like slow motion it a bit and recognize that a parent in the moment when you receive some really demanding request from your kid, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times, very understandably, you have the thought, oh God, my kid is so ungrateful, which then obviously understandably leads to some type of threat response in us. Maybe we get mad, maybe we get panicked, maybe we resent them for that. Maybe we fear judgment from other, whatever. We're having some type of interpretation of that question from them or that demand from them. And we're having a reaction as a result of it. But one of the things that might be helpful and like what you guys are kind of saying is if we can educate parents on how developmentally appropriate that is, or maybe it's like not like because they're egocentric and there's just kids are very egocentric or also because they don't understand. They actually do not know how packages get to their home. When kids understand how things work, they can have more appreciation for that process. We can we can base a little bit of this on science too, right? Because we know that there's an availability bias, which just means that the more that you see something with prevalence, the more examples that you have that, the more of that becomes the norm. Right. And it's not really their fault. Right. That's that's this world. And that is privilege. And that is sort of what a lot of us work really hard right, to sort of afford our kids some of these things. At the same time, I think that the maybe hearing parent, maybe when a parent feels that reaction of, oh, my God, my kid is so spoiled. Maybe that's our cue to say, like, you know what, instead of let's, let's reframe that as maybe I need to broaden their world a little right? Maybe Mm -hmm. I need to expand a little like, oh my gosh, I've been just sort of going through my life and through my, you know, days. And, and like, we're so thankful because we do have all of these opportunities, but, but that's just their whole life. And maybe I need to work a little bit harder at giving them a little bit more of a broader perspective, whether that's through visiting other communities or other cultures, or, you know, there's, there's such a wide range of, of ways to do that. But I think maybe we can flip that as a cue to say like, huh, you know, maybe in my kid's not bad, but maybe I need to, you know, sort of open this world up a little bit more for them. Right. Maybe my kid's not bad and maybe I'm not bad either because I could see a lot of parents going down that road. Like, okay, well, now that my kid's not bad, I'm clearly a horrible parent because I haven't <laughs> opened their doors. There's only one, op- like, right? Someone's got to be horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I also just want to add, because I feel like we'd be remiss as three clinical psychologists without mentioning it, that sometimes kids asking specifically about this package thing or that availability bias is anxiety, Right. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's this kind of like, I need to know when it's happening because it's not what if it's not according to plan. 
what if it doesn't get here? If I can't predict it, then I can't kind of hold on to it in my head. And that, you know, that's certainly I've seen happen with kids. And so parents misinterpret kids constant asking as a lack of gratitude or a lack of ability to focus on other things. And it's actually a sign of anxiety. Not, I don't mean clinical anxiety, just sort of colloquial anxiety. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm thinking, but I think what you're saying, Emily, makes sense is can you order things outside of Amazon Prime. It's not, again, if we think of parenting as achievable, right? Broadening their circle, I will say to some parents and it's like, we should go to another neighborhood and look at how other people live. And we, it's like, yes, or choose the non next day delivery option. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you can start small. Well, and I that's that. Yeah. And I think like one of the things that we did in my family during pandemic actually was um, we watched the documentary on the way to school, which follows children all over the world and how they, their journeys to school, which some of them were far and arduous and yeah. some of them were, you know, and it was just, it's, we watched TV. It's sort of just like a way that instead of our regular Friday movie night, we did something a little different. And I think those are ways that are achievable and aren't, you know, this huge, like we were talking about earlier, a new introduction of a whole new thing, but just a way to sort of introduce a little bit more broader perspective, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think when you have those opportunities to broaden their perspective in a format that is filled with your presence, your connection, your helping them process, right? Like having a family movie night where we all sit and watch this thing and we talk about it, we point things out and we're having a nice time. Like, those, that's what I was saying. Like those are the moments when kids can really learn gratitude far more effectively than the moments when they're really upset that something didn't happen the way they wanted. And they're having a really hard time with that. And you, that's not the best time actually to say, we need to teach you gratitude right now. Even though as a parent, your brain's kind of firing, like, oh my God, they're not grateful. Like I got to teach that. So it's like, we have to have a little tolerance ourselves for like kind of noticing it, saying, okay, note to self, going to teach some skills around this at another time when my child is connected and receptive and interested and motivated to kind of learn something new. Not when they're in the throes of profound disappointment or frustration or anger. Like we need to kind of recognize when's optimal teaching time and when's not. For right. everything. Like, everything. I, mean, I mean, that's half of what I do all day is just talk about timing. Because parents will say to me, like, well, do you think it's okay that they called me stupid? Or do you think it's okay that they're saying they want to kill their sister? And it's like, no, 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 no. What I'm saying is addressing that in the moment that feeling is happening is not going to be helpful. Let's bring everybody's nervous systems back into regulation. And then let's find another time to talk about using kind words or, you know, how to handle anger, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's so important because I think parents do. There's like this tricky path, I think, that we walk as, you know, psychologists who coach parents on parenting, as parents ourselves who frankly do not get it right all the time. Like I was just doing a group last week. for yourself, Dr. Brad. Right? I, I was literally doing a parenting group yesterday and I was like explaining um, – a like how you could talk to a kid in a moment when they're like throwing a ball across a bowl across the kitchen and one of the parents like you know spoke up and was like all of these things you're saying sound so great and you're so calm and your words are so 
you know, they make so much sense. But in that moment, when my kid throws the bowl against across the room, I can't access that language because I'm too overwhelmed and upset. And I'm like, yeah, that makes so much sense. And I can tell you this like nicely thought out, eloquent, you know, quote unquote script in this moment, because I'm in a Zoom call with you. I did not just experience this. Like I also sometimes can't access my calm, articulate words when my kid does something that triggers me. And so I think we uh, we have to remember, like we're talking about this in moments where you're going to have moments where you're going to be like totally on as a parent and you are going to think of the right things to say and say them in the right way and your kid's going to receive them in the right way. Amazing. That does not have to happen all the time. And it will not happen all the time. And we could still be effective. Yeah, I, I love that. Because I also think what we're talking about is two prong, right? We're talking about be- reactive parenting mm-hmm. and sort of trying to be the best in calming our reactivity. But it's proactive parenting too, right? Like giving your children responsibilities, giving them a debit card, teaching them those types of things. Those are other opportunities to teach value perspective, you know, appreciation and non-entitlement, right? So I think there's those two branches that are really important and balance it. You know, Sarah and I always say like, if you're doing 51%, you know, you're doing better, right? (laughs) And so it's, can we, can we balance those, those two prongs with both these proactive things that, that we're doing by expanding their worlds and giving them responsibilities and those types of things. And also, in our reactive side, trying to be our best selves and calm ourselves down. And I always say strike when the iron is cold, right? And trying to do those, those two strategies and weighing those often. Yeah. I, I, I don't remember where we were. I think I've blocked it out, but it was like, you know, can I buy this wherever, you know, for my son, can we, can I buy this? No. Why? It costs a lot of money. It's only $10, right? Something like that. It's only $10. That's not a lot of money. And again, and to your point, the rage, right? Of like, that's not a lot of money. You know, who are you that $10, you know, oh, you have a job now, you know, all those like (laughs) voices come in. And I, and I do think I snapped at him. I don't think I was quite that bad, but I think I said something like, what do you mean? It's not, you know, and then was able to back off. I I don't, I don't think that interaction ended particularly well, you know, Mm -hmm. But it ended as all interactions do. And then I was able to say to myself, okay, this does feel like it's getting to be a thing. What can I do as a parent? What can we do as parents to address this in a proactive way? So a lot of times that proactive parenting piece can come from noticing that these moments that you're feeling triggered as a parent are happening more and more often. Look, there is, there is an important place for confidence and appropriate entitlement. And I think that has a lot of like cultural norms that, you know, that are really important to, to help people to speak up when they need to. And how, you know, I think that there's a lot of nuance there. So I don't want to make it seem like it's all bad, right? We want to teach when it's appropriate to, you know, express yourself and feel confident about that. And then on the other times when it is more appropriate to sort of tone that down and be more humble or grateful. So I think it's a, it's a more nuanced and complicated concept than just not raising spoiled kids, you know? Right. And I think developmentally appropriate expectations is critical there because 
Emily, what you described, the nuance of being able to say, I can appropriately dial up my assertiveness in situations that call for it and are, and and so I can more effectively get my needs met and I'm capable of appropriately dialing down my assertiveness in being more, you know, deferential or grateful or, you know, being more co- cooperative or whatever as the situation calls for it requires a ton of cognitive skill and and social learning and inhibition of impulse so like a two-year-old just is not going to be able to do that, period. But some nine-year-olds might and some nine-year-olds might not. Because the other thing is, you know, our brain development isn't just tied to numbers. It's not tied to chronological age in that respect. Like it's tied to your brain and so and your environment and what learning you've been exposed to. So there's so many variables that go into like a kid's capacity to do that. And we can definitely increase their their skills around that and perhaps their access to those skills by, you know, a regulated kid is going to have access to their skills in ways that a dysregulated kid won't. But I, I also think, you know, the the conversation about when to be assertive and when not to be assertive and all the things that you mentioned that go into that, which is all of which are true, uh, opens the door right back up into privilege, right? Um, because that whole idea of being able to assert yourself and get your needs met by asserting yourself is something that depends so much depending on privilege. And I've been thinking about this a lot because one of my kids has been having a really hard time this week for ways that reasons I won't go into, but I've had to interface with the school a lot. And I have the tremendous privilege of believing deep down that that will work for me, mm-hmm. right? That when I approach the school system in the way that I am going to there's no reason that all the pieces won't fall into place the way that they should. And if they don't, I can keep going up the ladder and right. I have that agency and I have that power. And I think so much of what's happening in the world right now. And of course I think of the recent, you know, police brutality and all of that. It's sort of where privilege is not just about packages coming to your door from Amazon. It's also about just your views of the world and whether things are, are, ultimately just or not just Mm -hmm. and bringing that into the whole conversation with our kids about regulating emotions and getting needs met becomes very complicated and needs to be very complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I I couldn't agree more. I I think that there's, there's a way that the, the privileges that each family and each, you know, interface has really plays out within the family, but also in these larger like interfaces with other big things, particularly schools or work or those types of things and keeping those things in mind when we're, when we are working individually with families, but just as we talk about this too, that it doesn't always feel safe, right. To not have that, um, deferentialness or sacrifice or that type of thing. And I think that that's really an important thing that families, you know, work to find the balance on and, and think through, but some of these strategies of slowing down and, and, and really being mindful are helpful for in either situation, right? Like in all of the situations, but I do, I appreciate that because I think it is, it can be more complicated and, and we have to take that into consideration from a cultural perspective as well. Yeah. No, that's all very, it's, it gets, it gets very muddy when we, when we factor this stuff and it's very easy to talk about it and like, you know, in these theoretical terms and, but when, in, when you're actually in, in it, and it's not always so easy to 
to teach a kid how to appropriately respond. And I'm thinking like, I'm a white woman. My kids are white children. And how do I teach my white children to respond to situations where they do need to assert themselves or need to be less assertive in ways that respects the the needs of the people that they're talking to as well and recognize that like not all kids have been brought up in families where they they know how to do that or or if it's even appropriate sometimes to be able to do that. Well, right. Not all kids get responded to in the same way. Yeah, exactly. Right? So I think that's sort of the important nuance. We're talking about sort of like knowing your environment and building confident kids that can learn how to respond to their environment, but environments also respond to your children in different ways. And, and, and I really do, I'm a firm believer in, in teaching your kids about being pretty transparent about teaching your kids about those sort of differences and what they might expect and really to understand their context, because it is different for each family, depending on what your child looks like, the color of their skin, you know, maybe even what they're wearing, you know, those types of things really do have uh, feedback from the environment. And I'm an advocate of, I'm only saying it because you, you missed it, Emily, and I know you didn't mean to gender. Yes. A hundred percent. And I think how do we, how do we navigate that? I think again, as an open conversation with our kids around these things, right. It's just also bringing it back to family conversations, bringing it back to what it's like in the real world. And how do we sort of unpack what that looks like in many different troubleshoot sort of, right. Many different scenarios and what that might be, I think is a really important way. We, we role play in my, with my kids all the time around these things, um, just for practice, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I imagine too, like, I know, Emily, I know the ages of your kids. Um, and I, Rebecca, I know the ages of your kids, but like, I think there is also, we want to think about how do we do this in, in ways that match where our kids are at, you know, from a developmental standpoint, like how might those conversations look for, you know, toddlers, preschoolers, more like, you know, older, slightly older kids. I feel like we'll have to do another episode. (laughs) I mean, seriously, there's so much, right? We're getting into kind of how do we teach kids about, you know, cultural norms and gender and race. And, and it's, it's all tremendously important. And, um, I think, I think all of the literature now points to the earlier you do that, the the bet, you know, this isn't a surprise conversation that happens when they're seven. This mm-hmm. is just a way that you parent kind of throughout. Um, and it starts, you know, to bring us full circle with, with modeling um, and noticing. I think maybe to bring it again, like another sort of full, full circle is that curiosity, right? Again, being like, that's a tenant that I think we can all hold on to and maybe try to prioritize as parents more like being curious about the environment, about, how the package gets there, about how a school interfaces with your child, about a classmate of theirs, really just sort of having this inquisitive mindset, I think really does help present us with a lot more opportunities on a day-to-day basis to have more in-depth conversations about these things that that hold a lot of the tenants that we're talking about and bring those forward. And I think that's just a, a way that we can in prior, like bringing this back to prioritizing how do we make caring common? How do we make things like that be at the front burner? Yeah. And how do we also kind of explain how things work? Like going back to this idea of like make transparent the process of how the Amazon package gets to our door. How do we make transparent some of the 
systemic issues in our cultural society that make it, um, that create these, these situations that you're noticing? Like, how do we talk about these more complex issues? And again, at developmentally appropriate ways, you know, with younger kids, it's more about representation and, you know, exposing them to as much diversity of both culture and thinking as we can. But that idea, like what you're talking about, Rebecca, is like, it's critical thinking. It's questioning. It's, it's, it's saying. It starts with noticing. I Mm -hmm. really, I I mean, I feel like I want t-shirts, right? It starts with noticing. Like I, and, and for me too, again, like I could go through a whole day without noticing easily because I'm on my phone and I'm this and I'm that. And that doesn't, again, I've learned very hard to say that doesn't make me a bad person or a bad, you know, but like, it's just, it's a practice. It's a practice that I just think every day, like redevoting ourselves to. Yeah. And not being afraid to talk about things that make us uncomfortable. It's just, I don't know how to talk about it because it makes me uncomfortable to notice the differences. But I think pushing through that discomfort and talking about that with our kids is actually really valuable. It's super hard and to do. noticing the discomfort and saying that to your kids, right? Mm-hmm. I noticed I get uncomfortable talking about this. Let's talk about that. <laughs> Right. And again, that's got to happen at a conversation in a setting when your kids are totally like connected and present and receptive to it. You know, if they're not get, if they're not like with you, it's, it's just gonna, it's not going to land. And it's not a one-off. Like mm-hmm. it might be that you make one comment. I noticed this and they say, I think I'm going to get a burger today. That's the end, you know, and then, you know, it didn't land, but it's, you you do it the next day. And the next day, again, it's a long game. You're playing a long game. Or it lands. Like I always say, you never know with parents what land and what doesn't. Right. So I do love the idea of like, it doesn't have to be the perfect setting or the perfect environment, but you keep trying and you sprinkle it and we shouldn't expect an aha moment from our kids. But I love that you sprinkle it. it. It's a bad of our t-shirts. Exactly. I love that. Starts with the noticing on the front, and then in the back it says you sprinkle it. I honestly feel like that's it. That's what we do. I love it. Well, this was this conversation ended up being a lot more than I expected in a great way. But I do hope that it left parents with some 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 validation that their fears make sense, but also perhaps could be challenged a little bit with a little understanding of what's appropriate developmentally, what makes sense, context, and also tools to do something about it, but in the time when it's most effective. Because I think parents just say like, I keep trying and it's not working because they're trying at times when you can't get in. Yep. Agreed on all of that. All right. Talk soon. Thank you so much for listening. As you can hear, parenting is not one size fits all. It's nuanced and it's complicated. So I really hope that this series where we're answering your questions really helps you to cut through some of the noise and find out what works best for you and your unique child. If you have a burning parenting question, something you're struggling to navigate, or a topic you really want us to shed light on or share research about, we want to know. Go to drsarahbrennan.com forward slash question to send in anything that you want Rebecca, Emily, and me to answer in this new series 
securely attached beyond the sessions. That's drsarahbren.com forward slash question. And check back for a brand new securely attached next Tuesday. And until then, don't be a stranger.